grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why are you here? Why today are you here? You have every reason to not be here today. It's freezing cold outside. You maybe just thought, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stay under the covers today. Uh, there's apparently a football game going on later uh, that if you try and go to the grocery store, that's a bad idea. Found that out last year. Um, perhaps for our gentlemen in the room, you still have a little bit of shopping to do for tomorrow. Hint, hint, tomorrow's Valentine's Day, gentlemen. Probably should get a bouquet of flowers or something along the lines. You have every reason to not be here today. And of course, there's all just the regular weekly stress. And yet here you are. Why is it that you woke up this morning and, and you combed your hair, put on some clothes, got in the car, and drove here to Christ's memorial? Those of you watching online, why did you stop scrolling for even just a second? Why did you, you click the link? Why are you, you letting the audio play? Why are you here? Perhaps God wants you to be here today for whatever reason. Perhaps his divine fate predestined you to hear this message, to be present in this room, to be present online today. Maybe there's something that he's trying to say to you, to be in his presence. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 84, a time where, where a psalmist reflects on being in the presence of God, something that he yearns for, something that, that he's so desperate for that, quite frankly, we take for granted, that sometimes we even see as an obligation or even a nuisance. But we're going to take a look at that and perhaps refresh our view on the presence of God. Before we go into that, if you could join me in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for today for this chance to be here in your presence. I pray that you focus us, that you let all the, the distractions of our lives, of this world, melt away for even just a short amount of time so that we can be present with you. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. Lord, it is your message. I pray that, that I know that, that everybody who hears this would know that. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in a real and powerful way as we submit ourselves to you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, like I said, we are going to be talking about Psalm 84, and as I've been doing throughout this series, I'm gonna read Psalm 84 again for you, even though here in service, or if you're watching the whole service online, you just heard it. Um, a, it's good for those who are just listening to the sermon, and B, uh, it, it always is good to hear a little more scripture. So let's hear Psalm 84. We're gonna start off with that part that's in a different font in the beginning. It says, to the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from the strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. 
Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed for a day, and your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, part of the reason I, I read that again is I wanted to read that first part, that whole like sons of Korah thing, because we often just kind of skip over that when we're reading the Psalms. Like, oh, Psalm of David to the choir, boom, 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 off we go. But that song, the sons of Korah notion is, is interesting. Um, first of all, that, that song of Gatif, that means that it's uh, in a style of music that was particular in an area called Gath. That means nothing to us. Uh, but the sons of Korah is an interesting note. The sons of Korah, Korah himself uh, was one of Moses' cousins uh, back in, in those times, and he actually rebelled against Moses. Uh, he rebelled against Moses because he had a different understanding or a, a different thought when it came to the Levites, the, the tribe of Levi, and their responsibility as priests, and he thought that others should share that responsibility. Uh, he led 250 other people in this rebellion, and it got so bad that God's response to this rebellion by Korah is that he opened up the earth underneath him and swallowed him up with an earthquake. And then the other 250, they died in raining fire. So this was kind of a big deal. Like that was, that was some pretty significant repercussion for this disagreement regarding who is the priest, right? And so it's fascinating to me that generations later, these psalmists, so there are a number of psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah. For instance, Psalm 46 which we just heard a couple weeks ago, Be Still and Know That I Am God, also one of the Psalms of the Sons of Korah, that they still claim that. Isn't that fascinating? That they are still using that legacy as delineators of who they are as part of their identity. Now, if you look at this individual psalm, Psalm 84, uh, it's clearly somebody who, who is not in Jerusalem. He's not at the temple for whatever reason. We don't know if he was maybe exiled. He just lives far away. But for whatever reason, he, he's not at the temple. He is not with the presence of God. And he is just yearning for it deep down in his soul. He has this longing to be there in God's presence. Remember, in early Israel life, uh, Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem was considered the hub. That was really the main place where they knew God's presence was. That was where the significant sacrifices were made. There were smaller synagogues and things about, but the temple was the main place. For us, you know, we have our churches and it's slightly different, but uh, for whatever reason, the psalmist can't go to this main place. And he's just yearning. He's saying, I, I, I cannot wait for one day to be there again. I'm reminded in our modern times, if you have Instagram, uh, they'll, especially like right around this time of year, there's gonna be pictures of like people on the beach with the hashtag, mm, take me back, right? I wanna go back to the beach. Like, I just wish I was there, take me back there. And there's like this longing, this, there's also pictures you'll see like mm, Disney World or something. Oh, take me back there. Imagine if we had that same nostalgic reverence for being in church. Imagine if we look back and like, oh, I remember being in fantasy land. Oh, it was so magical. If we had that same thought about being in, wait for it, the presence of the Almighty God. And yet, here we are. 
I think we have lost that sense, that nostalgic reverence. And now part of the reason that we have a traditional service here at Christ Memorial is for that very reason. Because for many people, that is their nostalgia. They remember sitting in the pews, singing or listening to This is the Feast, hearing the pastor read the collect of the day, which is really just the world's longest run-on sentence. And it's in stiff clothes, and they're getting squirmy, and you know they get the pinch in the arm, you better shape up, right? And that's their memory of church. And so now, 70 years later, as they sit in the pew, it's this nostalgia. And they say, yeah, I remember that. Now, in our modern church, we have an issue in that um, kids aren't getting that same experience when it comes to the nostalgia of church. I'm not talking about traditions. I'm just talking about church in general. Uh, So we have to be aware of how we can kind of build that in for the next generation. It's kind of crucial for the longevity of the church, for the sustainability of this whole thing. That's why, like, my goal is to remove obstacles between people and God. That's what I want to do. But at the same time, maintaining the sanctity and the reverence that comes with being in the presence of God. Because, see, I think we have lost that over the years. This idea of mystery, this idea that this is, this is something different. This isn't just us coming and singing songs. This isn't just a place where you can come and go to some activities and you know, have some barbecue on March 6th. This isn't just that. This is a mysterious thing where somehow, right now, we are with God himself. I think probably because we, we don't really honor that a lot of times. We don't build cathedrals anymore, right? Nobody's going to walk into a big non-denominational theater black box down and be like, oh, wow. They're not going to be walking around in 100 years with like reverent voices like, oh, this must be the stage where they played the electric guitar, right? But if you've been to a cathedral, you walk in and you're just awestruck. You see the stained glass. You see these huge ceilings. You see these statues everywhere. And it's just awe-inspiring. There's something to that, that art, artistry. And yet at the same time, I've been in a lot of cathedrals and I don't think I've ever actually seen a worship service. Like most of the people there, you'll have a couple people who are like kneeling in prayer, a couple people who are lighting candles, but by and large, what's everybody doing? Taking pictures. They're whispering because, you know, all reverence, but they're whispering about the architecture, right? The idea of God has been lost in some sense. And so we have to figure out how to remarriage those things, the approachability, but also uh, the awe and wonder of the fact that we are in God's presence. This is something significant. It's interesting because I think people in our modern times feel more reverence when they're at a sports stadium, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you walk into a stadium and it's huge and you're just like, wow. But when you come to church, like, oh, okay, yeah, no problem. I guess I'll get my pew up there in the front. See, we struggle with the idea that this is powerful. Perhaps, perhaps it's because the church at some point shifted to obligation. Perhaps clergy over the course of time became more and more desperate as church started to leave society and leave popular cultures. It became less of something that people did. Um, they started to link together going to church and salvation. 
They started to say that coming to church was part of being a Christian, that if you don't come to church, then you're not saved because they're just desperately trying to get people to show up. But, but we can't go that far because it's not. See, you, you could link back in the Old Testament for them going to church, right? Going to the, the temple, that was part of their sacrifice. They made sacrifice there. But ever since Jesus was the one true sacrifice once and for all, we don't need to worry about that as much. Maybe you link back to the third commandment, honor the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, right? And, and that means you go to church. But that's not really what that commandment means. It actually means just take time for God. Intentionally take time to be with God. Now with that in mind, there's also the statement of we should not giving up, give up being together, meeting together, being part of a community. With that statement is the idea of the body of Christ that we are better together. And so there is, of course, value in being in church. I mean, we get later on in this service to hold in our hands an unquestionable statement that God loves us and forgives us. His very presence in our hands. That, that you can't experience anywhere else. Even watching online, if you watch every week online, you're still missing out on this. But it doesn't mean it's tied to salvation, being in church. No, being in church isn't something that we have to do. Oh no, my friends, it's something that we get to do. Because you get to be in the presence of God, the almighty, all-powerful who spoke and like everything happened. He's here right now. It's some sort of mysterious thing. And I think because we've taken the church and made it into a place with, with events and a place with, with clubs and things like that, we, we've lost sight of the mystery of all of this. The power and the purpose that comes with spending at least just an hour of your time during the week with God. Because see, it's easy to focus on the other stuff that we do to say, well, I'm busy. I got I to buy stuff for nachos for the party later. I got to, apparently now I have to go buy flowers for my wife later. I have all these things that I have to do. I don't know if I have time for God. I'm reminded, um, I had a neighbor when I was growing up across the street. He was, a, he was a jockey, like a horse riding jockey. He was a very famous horse riding jockey. And he won some, some big races, I don't know. Um, but he got invited to the White House and he was just this little, like, rough-around-the-edges Cajun guy. And, uh, and he said, like, I got other stuff to do, but you don't say no when the president invites you over. And I was like, I suppose that's, yeah, yeah. He's like, you just don't say no to the president. And I was like, you got it, okay. Why are we saying no to God? <laughs> when God invites you over, when God says, hey, you know that chaos of the week that you experience? You know that pain and that suffering that you go through? You know that stress that you encounter constantly? Come on over to my place. I'll give you a little peace for a while. We'll sing some songs. We'll, I'll be there with you. And I can get you through this. No, that's all right. I got to do other things. No, you don't say no when God invites you over. See, we get to come to church. That's what, what the psalmist understood as he wrote that he longs to be in the presence of God. As he yearns to be back in the temple. He, he was jealous of the birds that had nests in the rafters because he saw the power of being present with God. And here's the thing, even as you sit here right now, some of you aren't present with God even right now. You've got other things running through your head. 
because we're broken and sinful people, because we have these things that, that constantly are pulling us away from him. But God's still there. Just like the father, prodigal son, he's ready with his arms open, ready to welcome you back. Because see, that's the thing. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, this is all well and good. A fun little study on the church and the presence of God. But what does this have to do with me? How can I apply any of this to my life? What's well, this? If you don't feel comfortable coming to church, maybe you're, you're one of the folks online, you feel more comfortable coming online, you don't feel comfortable coming to church, some of that is gonna be on us. Some of that's gonna be on, on kind of the stigma that we've set up, uh, the, the judgment that we have inherent within our sinful selves, and, and for that we apologize. But if you don't feel worthy to be in the presence of God, if you don't feel welcome by God himself, that's on you. Because what you're doing is you're looking at your past, you're looking at your sin, you're looking at these things you have hidden away, and you're thinking that that's going to get in the way of you and God. Let me introduce you to a man named Abraham, who was told that he would have great nations come from his name, and yet because he thought he knew a better way, he had a kid out of wedlock. Let me introduce you to King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, who had an affair, and then had the husband of his mistress killed. Let me introduce you to Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who also did everything he could do to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to the sons of Korah, who still bore the name of their ancestor, who rebelled and was so bad that he was swallowed up by an earthquake. This is still the voice that we hear in the Bible. You're never too far gone. God is ready to welcome you home. You may think that you have things in your past, but God doesn't care about that. God is ready for you to be in his presence, for you to be clean, for you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are loved. You don't have to spend your time wandering around out there trying to find your purpose, trying to find who you are, trying to find your value in people and places and roles and achievements and awards and all these things. No, your value comes from the fact that you are a child of God and he looks at you and smiles. He's here right now. You get the opportunity to worship together with the family of believers, not just in this room, but all those who have gone before, the saints who have gone before, by those who are joining online across the world. You get the opportunity to proclaim together that we have a God who knows us, who loves us, and who will never fail us. I pray, as you go out this week, that you can take just a moment and to know that God is with you. Because see, I hear all the time people saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not like, I don't go to church. See, it, it's possible to be a Christian and not come to church. But man, you better be very spiritually mature to pull that off. You better be pretty wise and spend a lot of time in Scripture because you need to hear those other points of view. You need to hear those other people. You need to have that accountability. You need to have that support. We are better together because together, all of us broken people are made whole through Jesus Christ. As you go this week, when you look in that mirror, don't listen to the lies of the world that say you're not good enough. 
Instead, look and see the legacy of the sons of Korah, of Abraham, of David, of Paul, the legacy of all those people within the scripture who are raised up as these amazing people of God, and yet were full of sin and mistakes. You too can be an amazing person of God. God works in you and through you. And I pray that as you go, you know that God's ready to welcome you here with love, with grace. God's inviting you to be here. Welcome home. That's why you're here today. Amen.